Welcome into our post-game edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad at Pecor Stadium, joined by Andrew Gillis, Mike Nislik, and our special guest, our rivalry reporter, Jimmy Watkins, who is down here with us for the game. Glad to have you on, Jimmy. It's been a fun couple weeks. You've been pretty busy. Your, your first, basically, assignment was uh, the game, right? Ohio State-Michigan? My first day was Michigan press conference the week of the game. My first week ended with the game. So, yeah, it's been... It's been crazy, it's been fun, and like you said, it's been special. Yeah, you covered that. Just a couple weeks later, you covered the Battle of Ohio, so you chose the right prime time to come. So I'm sure you'll have some great stuff on the rivalry coming up on Cleveland.com. But going back to the Battle of Ohio, the Bengals finally snapped their five-game losing skit to the Browns, 23-10. Joe Burrow beats them for the first time in his career. And it was done without Tyler Boyd, who left after the second play of the game, T. Higgins, was questionable after he was going through some hamstring issues and warm-ups. He didn't really play from that point on after, I think, the first or second snap. And we also get some breaking news from different reports that Trey Hendrickson, I believe you you saw it first, Andrew, he broke his wrist. So Ian Rappaport just tweeted, like literally we're sitting down to do this, Uh, Ian Rappaport tweeted that Trey Hendrickson suffered a broken wrist um, and he's expected to miss a few weeks. He actually played in the game, um, like to the point – no one knew he was hurt. No, So no one was able to ask Zach Taylor about it. We can do that tomorrow uh, on Monday. But nobody was able to ask Zach Taylor. Nobody saw him in the locker room, at least with any significant splint or anything like that on his hand. Um, so that was kind of news to all of us here that came out just a few minutes ago. But, I mean, if he's going to be out for a few weeks, that's a pretty significant loss. Um, so I, I'm curious to see what they're going to do at edge rusher because obviously we have Sam Hubbard. But when you lose a guy like Trey Hendrickson, that's pretty significant, and with the injuries they have offensively now at the skill positions, the injury list, which looks so promising on Friday, now looks way, way less promising. We jinxed it. I remember, I think one of us, it was either me or you, I think you tweeted, oh, I think, no, I, 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 I tweeted this, it too. For this point of the year, it's one of the cleanest injury reports I've seen. Um, you just don't have one guy listed as out in week 14 and have everybody else with no injury designation. Um, that's pretty crazy. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's not a not a good day injury wise for the Bengals. And you still don't have Hayden Hurst either. He's out basically, and as he told us uh, this week, a couple weeks. So we don't know the timetable on Higgins or Boyd. You just said it's a couple weeks for Hendrickson. So man, at this point in the year, it's it's going to be crazy. And we'll talk more about that in the podcast. But just going back to the game and the end result, it wasn't pretty uh, far from the cleanest game. I think there was like what thirteen total penalties. Ten came in the first half. I think seven of them came from Cleveland, but the Bengals gladly took it because you had like, it was crazy, 53 penalty yards on the Bengals' first scoring drive that ended with a laser touchdown to Jamar Chase, so a lot, I mean a lot to clean up for the Browns, but you know, kind of just starting with that, that touchdown, I mean they get that after three straight three and outs, which was doing part to those injuries to Boyd and Higgins and you know, Burrow. Almost kind of showing deja vu from that last Browns game, the Titans game, which they still won in the, the Ravens game. For Bro to come back, you know, from those three three and outs, throwing that, I think one of the best throws he's thrown all year to chase. I mean, pretty impressive, I'd say. Well, yeah, I, I think that this one had more of a, a reason why they started slow. I mean, Chase was out that first one, but, I mean, otherwise, they offensively, they had everything together. This one, and they were literally meeting at noon to sort of figure out what the offensive game plan was because um, they based their inactives on what they thought the lineup would look like, and then it got changed before they could, you know, they would have probably carried a third tight end, maybe carry Chris Evans, um, So, but they couldn't do that. They were locked into it. Um, so you could kind of understand why it took them a quarter 
um, to sort of get going. I don't think it had much to do with the Browns as much as that you know, Joe Burrow was playing with personality, you know, that they weren't really, personnel groupings they weren't anticipating right. even two <laughs> hours before the game. So I think that made, obviously, a huge impact. But once they got going, and I thought the defense kind of, you know, Zach went out of his way to mention that they set the tone. But getting all those stops, getting out those, those three and outs at the start of the second half in particular, uh, changed the game and made it sort of, uh, I felt, you know, in the second half, but the score was closer than the game felt, I feel like. Yeah, I, there was never really a moment where you kind of looked at this game and felt like the Browns were really kind of threatening to make it a football game. Particularly in the but, second half. Right, exactly. right, yeah. right. And, and you mentioned the offensive um, the offensive adjustments that they had to make. I mean, they the offensive adjustments that they had to make were really get the ball to Jamar because Joe Burrow attempted 33 passes, 15 targets went to Jamar Chase. Yeah. His highest uh, target getter on the Bengals was Trent Taylor with four. And then you get Trent, or Trent Irwin, two. Joe Mixon, two. Mitchell Wilcox, two. Actually, sorry. Samaj P. Ryan had five. So, like, they really, bad they drops really just forced the ball to Jamar once uh, once you don't have TB, once you don't have T. So, I, I mean, I think that's going to be really, really important over these next couple of weeks because you can get through a game like that, but if Tyler Boyd has to miss some time or if T. Higgins has to miss another game, like that's not that's not sustainable. You can't throw the you can't throw a guy the ball fifteen times well, a game. Maybe you can when it's Jamar Chase. Well, maybe you can when it's Jamar, but freak receivers that um, you know you can do those things with. One thing I thought was interesting that he said after that meeting, you know, not much. He, the coaching staff doesn't tell him much about what changes. You know, all the things they were kind of talking about, but he basically said here. Are the, I mean, he, summing up his words, here are the routes I'd like to run of T's. Because uh, he played all both, all the X, Y, and Z. So he basically took a handful of rounds and said, these I think I should do. Uh, so you can kind of see the power he has in sort of the offensive uh, game planning that, you know, they have confidence in him to be basically um, take plays that aren't normally his to run them and run them with success. And that's why Zach Taylor said word for word, you know, when you have, in his words, a smart player like Jamar, he can play all three positions, the X, Y, and Z, like he said. But you're right, though, Andrew. The, the concerning thing is, you know, there's only so much you can do with one guy. And even in the beginning, Denzel Ward and some of the other Brown safeties were kind of clouding him with that cover, too. Eventually, he got his, and a lot of that goes back to the accuracy where Burrow can throw between two defenders in the end zone for that first touchdown. But, and maybe I'm not trying to hype this up too much, obviously, because, you know, you'd rather have, you know, maybe this is a tongue-in-cheek thing I'll say. You want to have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, but you can only get so much out of Trent and Irwin. But we can't forget, that was a... I think one of the cleanest flea flickers I've seen this year. And for him to get it, to just get so wide open where really no one was going to touch him, no one was going to beat him, I mean, heck of a play. It changes the game a lot if he drops that and you say, oh, what if, and maybe they don't get a touchdown, you get a field goal. I mean, that's that's a pretty momentous play, I'd say. The, th- the thing about that, though, not this is I'm not the Bengals beat writer, right? but football in general. Your time, your time will come <laughs> later in this podcast. <laughs> but for now, football, you can act like football it. Football in general, flea flicker, nice to have. Not something you want to be reliant like that of kind course. of thing. When you when you have injuries pile up at a position group like that, yeah. you it's it's a smart adjustment to do some trick stuff like that. But people are going to be well, <laughs> people are going to be running, running miss, up for that. They stuff. try to reverse with Jamar Chase, perfect, uh, and it failed spectacularly. And it was it was a terribly timed call. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't an attempted pass. Like, said, yeah, Jamar, 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 like Jamar said, realized he was he said, screwed. Jamar said there was pass. nobody even down the field. He just he was laughing about it. But <laughs> that that play almost died before it even started. That there were mechanical issues with the snap. But uh, Jimmy, this is your first time covering the Bengals in person. I'm not sure how much you've watched them uh, previously. Great but what were your uh, thoughts? Uh, your first impressions of the team seeing them up close? 
good I don't question. think I got <laughs> that is good. I don't think I, I was gonna get to that. I don't think I got the right impression of them because they were not whole. Uh, the most impressive thing that they that I saw. I mean, we've been spending the whole time talking about the receivers and, and the offense. Defense was what stood out to me, and it's a, it's an interesting defense because there's no standout elite in, guy, you no know, blue chip, ninety eight overall on Madden kind of guy on that defense. Just a lot of um, guys who clearly know what they're doing and are are filling their assignments and give a, a hat tip to to Lou Anarumo he's putting together great schemes that's the thing I mean, we've known for a very long time now that the offense is dangerous that Joe Burrow is as good of, as any of the elite tier quarterbacks not named Holmes and that the that, that this offense was built to win a Super Bowl the thing that stands out today is that they hold Nick Chubb to what 34 yards 30, or something yeah. like yeah. that yeah. and against a team that is is built to run the ball, and, and in theory, it should be easier for them to run the ball because they have a quarterback position. Their offensive line is healthy. That's like, improving. Against, yeah, exactly. Like on that Monday night game, their offensive line was not healthy. I yeah. think they were, were they missing both Petonio and Teller. I know Teller was not there, yeah. but yeah, you're, you're they missing were. you're missing like a lot of your line there. Missing the I mean guys that make your right. line what it is, and, and he still had that guys. game. And Chubb, like Chubb, was fine in that game, but like I said, you know, kind of like we talked on the preview podcast, he got the yards when he needed, like. That was a game where it felt like their DVOA numbers were a heck of a lot better than their, you know, their average yards and stuff like that. But today, I mean, 2.4 yards a carry. Like, Deshaun, a lot of his runs were like, okay, nobody's open. I'm going to find – I got to find some grass. And he would just, you know, hightail it out of the pocket and get some yards. But yeah. they did a really good job defending that. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones had 114 yards. I didn't think he had 114 yards. I know. I that, that snuck it. up on me. I looked at it late, and I was like, that feels weird. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, um, they their defense played pretty well. Like, Deshaun still doesn't look whole. Like, he still doesn't look like the Deshaun that we oh, saw I th- I Houston. counted four but limbs. But he looked, be- he looked better. Was you counted what? I counted four limbs. Four limbs. Two arms, two four legs. Limbs, two <laughs> oh. Um, like but, both, like but, most but to Jimmy's point, it was interesting. You come in, and you don't see them at the at their best. But I think it's like a sneaky good game for them in terms of like their Super yeah. Bowl credentials because they played an opponent that generally drags them down. They generally played to their level. Yet, and they played injured, and they still escaped with the win and, and managed because like this was what hung them up the last time. And you know, they would have been on a what I think eight game win streak if they hadn't lost that, lost that game. Um, you know they didn't slow down. They won an ugly game, and winning ugly sometimes is kind of. Uh, I think important, especially in December, uh, when you're playing some of these games, when you're going to go to New England in a couple of weeks. Um, in Tampa know, weather, Bay next week? Well, the weather's nice there, so you don't have to That's worry true. about that. But I'm saying That's a winning true. ugly um, in terms of you know some of the you know, road environments you're going to play and they're going to be tough. Uh, this was a game where you kind of felt like at the start, oh, man, you know, is it going to go that way? But then it didn't. They, they turned that They're the better team. And even though they were missing guys, there, I think they're still the better team yeah. with two backup receivers. I, even with, I, I felt like they just had way more talent on the field than, than Cleveland did. Winning, winning ugly and winning different, right? Like, yeah. The, the, yeah. Not every game is going to follow this, a, a similar script. I think back to like the Titans playoff game last year when it was sort of like the same kind of grinded out where you get sacked a bajillion times. times. <laughs> you got to figure out a way to win those. That's... You're going to probably have a curveball like that if yeah. you make a long playoff run. That's the kind of game you got to win. This is one of those, I think, yeah, like Mike said, this is one of those good tests because you lose two of your top three receivers within, what, uh, two minutes of the game starting? Like, that's just not a situation you want to be in. You lose Mike Hilton for a little bit. Um, and actually, I talked to Mike Hilton afterwards, and he was like, when I was lying on the field, I immediately went worst-case scenario. Like, he thought he was he was in for something serious with his wow. injury. Um, so he comes back. So that obviously matters, but like you lose him, now you lose Hendrickson. Like 
that was a game, like Jimmy said, that's a that's a win where you can kind of hang your hat on. And like Joe Burrow was what nine of twenty one at halftime. Yeah, it, wasn't like, he, it was not a it was not a very pristine half. And even his final numbers: eighteen of thirty three for two thirty nine, two touchdowns and a pick. And the one pick was tipped. You look at that and you go, okay, you know, not the best game for Joe, but that's important to win where, you know, Joe Mixon busts off a 40-yard run, changes field position. Like, you can win in a couple of different ways. And, um, you know, like he said, Cam Taylor-Britt's coming along. Um, I thought their secondary was pretty good. Uh, you know, like it felt like when they played that game in on Halloween – there were just Cleveland receivers everywhere. Like, oh, they yeah. were just wide open. And that's when Jadobia Luzier got it hurt. It wasn't like they were just mossing people. Like, I mean, Brissett had the one bomb to Cooper that was ridiculous. Yeah. But, like, aside from that, the guys were just open. And really today, I, I thought that the Bengals' secondary kind of held them in check. And it, it, it was one of those games where it was boring to watch. But after the fact, I think it's you can be – kind of proud of if you're the Bengals of, of what you just put on the field there's so much you could say about the secondary and stopping Nick Chubb like we talked about that I want to get to but Jimmy since you're with us I know you made a good point a few minutes ago and Mike asked you about you know seeing the Bengals in person for the first time us three talked a lot about this last week when Burrow actually beat Mahomes because you talked about you kind of see that Burrow versus Mahomes kind of vision aside from like that nine for 21 first half that Andrew mentioned you know, like the pinpoint throw to Jamar and the ability to work without your two best receivers. How many flashes of MVP, bro, did you see today? And how competitive does he stay with the best of the rest after today? I think topping Mahomes for MVP is going to be a tall task. I guess topping how, Jalen Hurts for MVP is going to be hard. How, 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 how competitive is he going to be, obviously, at least after today? He's not going to go ahead of them after today, but how competitive is he in the race after today? He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and he... The I don't know that, like you said, today was his best day. Right. But under the circumstances, the way he yes. was, people talk about managing a game. They apply that to people who yeah. have sub, uh, subpar skill sets. That's still a very important part of the position. And I think he did that really well. Um, I think the underrated part, you guys mentioned the chase catch a couple times or the throw to chase. The underrated part of that play I don't think Jamar saw that ball. He did it. Was like, he no, did it. He, he talked about his that. <laughs> on his hip, I don't think. And really that did. was that was just an amazing play. It shows it shows first of all the, the precision accuracy of Burrow and and honestly like I don't think people think of him as, as having like one of those Mahomes Allen at least class aren't but there was some zip on that ball. Sure. He had to be two he had to get that ball between two defenders and then it's just like the the mind meld that they have from going back from LSU the fact that Joe trusted to throw it when Jamar wasn't looking and the Jamar was in the spot that Joe thought he was going to be in. Like that's that's good stuff right there from QB one and wide receiver one. I mean, it just comes down to being in the right place at the right time, and you know you, you can't completely rely on one guy, but you can put an asterisk next to Jamar Chase's name and say, oh, but in this situation, in this situation, in this situation, you can't depend on him. So um, they will appreciate that gladly when they head to Tampa Bay next week and New England the week after that, which, like Mike mentioned, cold winter weather. I don't care. If you're undefeated or you're a 500 team, that's a tough place to play. Going back to Nick Chubb, though, you know, you think about the fact that they stopped Derrick Henry for about the same total. I think Henry had like 2.2, 2.3 yards per carry at Tennessee. A few weeks later, you do just about the same to Nick Chubb, you know. And, of course, it's it's tough now that you don't have Trey Hendrickson, but with the way he played, Osai, Sam Hubbard, and, of course, DJ Reader, who I want to talk about, I mean... How, how just impressive has this Bengals rush defense gotten week after week since the bye week? Well, uh, you know, I'm glad Jimmy said, you know, I'm going to 
pretend that he listens to the podcast and just agrees with me. Um, but, you know, I've kind of made that point this year. Like, you don't – you look at this defense and you don't say, like, there's a top two guy at his position, there's a top whatever guy at his position. But they just – they find ways to get things done. Yeah. Um, you know, Cam Taylor-Britt was talking about that kind of end of uh, end of game drive where the Browns kind of picked on him, they threw a fade to him, and, and he boxed out Cooper for it. He was like, I looked at the scoreboard, I looked at the down, I knew it was coming. He's like, he's like, hell, if I was the Browns, I would have ran the same thing because you're picking on a rookie corner. I get it, um, and especially from where he was like five, six weeks ago, he was making his first. Like, we, remember we were talking about him like coming off of injured reserve. He was playing playing as Lamar Jackson on practice squad. <laughs> that was crazy. He becomes like a backup for one game, and then the next game he's a starter. Like he his progression really kind of went from okay, you know, we're gonna work you along to okay, now we need you to be a legitimate corner. Um, but he, guys like that have played well throughout the year. That was an all-time reading. answer to how they stopped the run. Right. Well, I was going to say, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was getting Nick Chubb or the rushing defense. So, well, so you, you, when you get guys like Cam who stick their head in with the run if game, I had it's like, it, I think you're tagging this on. I think you're spitballing here. Right? No, it's, it's like, a, it's like a total run <laughs> effort. And I think that that's kind of what makes it because a couple of weeks ago when you played Derrick Henry, you can't arm tackle Derrick Henry. You can't no. arm tackle Nick Chubb. So you need everybody, like it's cliche, but you need everybody to get to the ball. I, I think, think they do a really good do that from that the, the case DBs in the Steelers to the game. In this game, I think the point of they won the point of attack consistently, and it didn't. They didn't get to the secondary very often. Right, Logan Not Wilson had like nine hundred tackles, and that that happens because DJ yeah, Logan Wilson had seven. I think he actually had a thousand. But then your next your, your next two leading tacklers, Von Bell with seven, Cam Taylor Britt with six. But yeah, but he had. They were blowing up the line of scrimmage. So yeah, right, right. They did a really good job. And then they were in yeah. the Steelers. It felt like they were having to make tackles on the outside. Here, it didn't feel like that. Everything was collapsing in because Reader was sort of dominating up front. Oh um, yeah. And he was complaining. I thought it was unfunny. Uh, funny on Twitter that he didn't get credit for any tackles for the loss. He was very upset at the Bengals stat person. I love how <laughs> in baseball they'll actually call up and ask for a stat change. I don't think you could do that. In you're right, man. You're right. Uh, but you know, yeah, with DJ Reader in there. You know, Hendrickson, I think, will hurt if they're, they're absent him with the pass rush, obviously. Um, obviously playing more pass downs than does rush downs. But um, in terms of impact, you know, DJ Reader, so much different having him in this game than not having him in the first matchup. Yeah, I mean, that impacted yeah. the run game more than Cam Taylor Briss improvement. So are you saying, wow, <laughs> Whoa, DJ okay. Reader greater than no DJ Reader? Yes. That was some mind bending analysis. But yeah, actually, it was I, about so... the run game. So I, wow. it, was, it, was, it was more on point. And it's, like. we keep, you've said it, I've said it, that. There's no elite. Yeah. But if DJ Reader is playing this way, I mean, he's... He's transitioning towards that. I was talking to Jesse Bates about what he... For a different story, but we were talking about the defense. Which we can get and to. He was, right, and he was talking about this exact concept. Like, there is no... I think he said there is no Aaron Donald on this defense, but there's yeah. a DJ Reader, and he's playing like... like he, used, he used those two names in the yeah. same sentence. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, like... I mean, DJ Reader, it's funny. He joked with me after they beat... Pittsburgh, yeah, to beat Pittsburgh, he had two batted passes in that game. No, he had eight batted pass. He said, yeah, I think I'm a defensive back at heart. No, he said that after the Tennessee game because he had two in that game. So entering today, he had uh, three or four, four batted passes from the last three games, four batted passes. He has another one today. I mean, I don't know. I think, hey, if God forbid Jesse Bates, Von Bell gets hurt, put DJ Reader back there. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, the way he stopped the run, the way he just, you know, got his hand up and swatted a pass from Watson, you know, to do that at that position, 
is great. And obviously, I don't know if you can put him on the same level as, say, like a Jeffrey Simmons and nowhere near a Hall of Famer like Aaron Donald. But you said it yourself, Jimmy. Give it time. Give it progression. He'll get there. Joe Burrow even said after the game, and I agree with this. He said, I don't know how, word for word, I don't know how enough people don't, not enough people don't know about this guy. He's the best defensive tackle in the league. I couldn't agree more with that. And I mean, that that helps Logan Wilson, like Mike said, make, what was it, 16 tackles he had? 17. Make 17 tackles. Because Wilson told me himself, you know, having guys like Reeder and, of course, B.J. Hill and Hubbard Hendrickson, they make my job easier because it allows me to see Nick Chubb. It allows me to keep him from getting, you know, to the first down marker and anything past the line of scrimmage. And so, and that's where you talk about complimentary football. That's the best way to kind of pinpoint that together. But uh, I know you're going to like to say, you're going back to Cam Taylor, Brett, I mean, you, you know, you, there's so many things you could take from that game. But I think back on that drive when the Browns were in the red zone, um, Watson throws on third and fourth down, both times in the end zone, Taylor Britt swats a pass incomplete. And the most impressive one was that fourth down swat. I think it was to Donovan Peoples-Jones that Watson was yeah, throwing to. one of them to. was Cooper, one of them was uh, right. Jones, or DPJ. The second one, I think, yeah. was to Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, it, just to kind of go back to what you said, I mean, to go from being on IR, scouting Lamar, filling in for Chadobi Awuzie, who's done for the year, that drive, like those two plays, how does that... Like, how much does that stick out in your mind compared to some of the best plays like he's had all year? Well, I mean, you need guys to make plays like that, um, you know, because you look at what this defense is. Like, you know, Jesse Bates, Mike Hilton, they, you know, when I asked them about him, they were like, okay, his confidence is crazy for a rookie. Yeah. Like, especially at the position, you need to have that. Like I was talking about earlier, like Cam Taylor Britt looking at the scoreboard and kind of having that situational awareness of being like, okay, it's fourth down, I'm a rookie, and I'm going up against Amari Cooper. Like, they're coming after me here. Like you got to understand that, so it's it's a passing league, and you need guys like that to play well, and uh, you need your defensive backs to play to a level that can not if not kill you at the very least. But I think he's progressing to a level where he's going to be a positive. So yeah, I mean you need. I mean he's played well. Um, Jesse Bates had a pick today in uh, a game he, ball. He read, um, you know, he read Deshaun. He was trying to throw like a deep out. And he read that thing all the way. So like, I mean, secondary's playing well. Cam Taylor Britt's certainly a part of that. Um, and you need you need guys like Cam Taylor Britt to step up because, like we said, you know you lose Cheeto. Cam Taylor Britt was supposed to be a reserve player this year. You lose Cheeto. Now all of a sudden you have a starter coming in. You have basically you know starting a starting level player that you weren't counting on. Those are the types of things that need to happen if you have the goals that this team does. Yeah, that's just. Unbelievable! Yeah, you can't ask for more from a guy like that. It's why they drafted him in the second round from Nebraska. Well, and Jimmy covered him at Nebraska. Yeah, I'm gonna say so. So, so, so honestly, I want your take on that. I mean, you know, you you saw this guy in college. You see him now. What do you make of the progression of Cam Taylor Britt from then and now? Conceptually, as just real quick, second round picks becoming starters is huge. Yeah, for roster right. building. Uh, as far as Cam, I love Cam. <laughs> I just think he has like the most bubbly personality. He's awesome. I wrote a story about him last year, but. As a football player, I haven't been grinding his tape this year, but I do know that at Nebraska, um, he was... I, I feel like just watching his numbers, he's progressed a lot as a tackler. He's sticking his yeah. nose in there making plays. He's uh, improved in that regard. He's, in, uh, in terms of varieties of cover, he was a lot of press man at Nebraska is what he was good at, and he needed sure. work in other areas. It seems like he's improved in that regard. Um, but I don't, I don't want... I, don't, I haven't watched enough of him individually to... to see where exactly he's progressed in his game. I just know that just w- watching box score, I'm going to know that tackling's a big deal. And I know that, you know, as an NFL player who has to learn a bunch of different coverages, I think he's managing it really well. I mean, the, the fact that he's 
getting <clears throat> the fact that he is the coaches are all right with him covering Amari Cooper on fourth down speaks volumes in and of itself. One thing I almost forgot about earlier, we talked a little bit about, you know, you mentioned Mixon had the big run and Pirine obviously was kind of behind Mixon. I think the carry differential was Mixon had five more carries than Pirine. We talked and debated this so much this week, but just what did you think of the tandem, just Mixon and Pirine together? I mean, obviously I know Pirine had some pretty bad drops catching passes, but other than that, I mean, what do you make of just the way those two work together today? Well, the carry differential was 10, uh, so it was mostly... Oh, I guess, yeah, at one point Mixon it was five. was the starting running back and got the carries like that. Um, he played well, uh, I thought. Uh, I mean, obviously the 40-yard run kind of skews his stats a little bit, um, but, um, you know, they, they had a nice rotation. P. Ryan catches a couple of those passes. Uh, his numbers probably look a little more impactful, but uh, he had the touchdown on the second effort, um, and that was kind of the, the, one of the bigger plays of the game, so yeah. um, you'll, you'll take that, certainly. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, like, uh, was it kind of what you expected it? I know we debated it a lot, just seeing what you saw from Joe and Samaj. In terms I mean, of, like, the split or in terms of the, like, how they played? Both. I think just both. I mean, the split is about what I expected. Um, I, I figured they would try to get P. Ryan a little bit more involved than they did. Yeah. Um, but they pretty much went straight back to Mixon. Um, I, I would have to look. The, you mentioned pretty bad drops with P. Ryan. He had, Two of those throws were not very good. I was going to say, yeah. one, of them, like, one of them Burrow was, in, he was under duress. He kind of just like fired that thing at P. Ryan's head, so I didn't see like a. I don't know if there was like any drops that come to mind, but I mean it's pretty clear what they think of their running backs. Um, you know they want Mixon to be the guy who gets the ball. You know what was the split today, fourteen to ten. So you you want him to be the guy who gets the ball, and then you're going to throw it to P. Ryan out of the backfield. But I still think P. Ryan ran well. Um, he had a he had I thought he had a nice run where he had kind of had a full set of steam, took a couple guys to bring him down. Um, there are just plays like that that Piran gives you that Mixon can't. So, sure, um, I wasn't surprised by it, but I still think you need to get Piran more involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, Piran's more of the stiff arm guy. Mixon's a lot more finesse, and we saw that from both of them today. So, you know, I think they kind of figured that out, and um, you know, they'll get better moving forward. Obviously, like you said, some of those throws were under duress. If he catches those, it's a whole different result. But I think that kind of settles that. We forgot to do this last week because I'm human and I just forgot. But game balls. Um, and, Jimmy, we usually do this after each game. We give out a game ball, just who we think okay. was the best player or coach. And sometimes the game ball doesn't even have to be someone on the team. It could be someone who was like a – I don't know. I think uh, I was joking with him. I was like, oh, the parking attendant let me out one night when it was super late. So uh, just, you know, who, who do you guys have as uh, game balls individually today? Um, I'm going to go with Joe Burrow. Okay. I think that Jimmy made a really good point about game management being important, even if you're not – that type of quarterback. I mean, you like you think about the quarterbacks who are game managers. You think of Mitch Trubisky and things like that. But in games like this where you lose your two top receivers, one before the game starts, one on the second play of the game, you play, you know, basically the entire game. So basically the entire game where you only – pretty clearly the numbers show he trusted one guy. Yeah. Um, so you, you throw the ball to him 15 times. That's a game where I just think that Burrow, he handled himself really well. That throw to Chase for the touchdown was ridiculous. Filthy. He finally beat the Browns, and I know he. That's it's a it was a kind of a ridiculous narrative that like you know oh Joe Burrow hasn't beaten the Browns, but like the players were happy to get that out of the way for him. Um, and I want to talk to Jimmy about this after the game balls because um, he actually went and talked to some fans about this. But uh, I you whenever you beat a team that beat you the same season, that matters. And then you beat them after four in a row losses, four losses in a row with Burrow. They've beaten you five times in a row. I just think that 
gives you it's just an extra motivating factor to get that off your shoulders so Joe Burrow getting all of that off game ball uh, I'll go Jamar Chase just because the, the yeah. flip side of that I thought having to work against probably double teams the entire game was targeted 15 times uh, fourth 100 yard receiving game of the year um, and I like that he tried to pass the ball even on a not pass <laughs> and it was fun so yeah, I'm going to go uh, Logan Wilson, another big game for him, leading the way with tackles. And, you know, obviously you can give the credit to his defensive line. And I think if you were to give out more game balls, you could give one out to DJ Reader or Sam Hubbard. Huh? I'm gonna give one to DJ Reader. So there you yeah, go. That's one. I'm saying this if, this, if I were, if I were, not allowed more than one. You're not allowed. Next, Jimmy, what's your game? DJ ball? Jeez, man. We can't, we can't spend the whole podcast talking about how it's crazy that DJ Reader doesn't give any credit and then not give him any credit. We have to give him a game ball. He gets a game ball for plugging holes um, and creating those opportunities for Logan Wilson to to make tackles. I think the big picture, like let's, if the Bengals. Not trying to get crazy. If the Bengals win the Super Bowl this year, you wow. could very much look back to this game and and identify it as a key moment in their season because teams are when teams play them in the playoffs oftentimes what they're going to try to do is take the air out of the ball because the offense is so explosive they're going to try and drain clock and if they if other teams can't do that that's huge takes an entire strategy off the table so i'll do that and then i also want to shout out the guy in the elevator for telling me my corduroy jacket was popping it was it was popping he said popping technically he didn't say it was a game ball so it'll be allowed I said yeah. shout out. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, Next yeah. time I'll like shout a, out like DJ Reader. Yeah. Um, so I do want to ask Jimmy about this though, because I, I mentioned the Battle of Ohio and all that stuff. Jimmy was actually down in the concourse talking to fans. You heard a story about this already. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious what kind of inner because for people that don't know, Jimmy's from Willoughby. Grew up in Ohio. People do not know where Willoughby is. It's right outside Cleveland. I didn't even know it was a city. There you go. It's no not, offense. It's, it's not none taken. <laughs> so he's so from Willoughby, which is right outside Cleveland. Uh, grew up there since you were like eight. So yeah. you, you kind of understand this dynamic. What are your impressions of this kind of rivalry being on the rivalry beat as this moves along? I think it has a cool name. The rivalry has a cool name. And this, this maybe will make fewer people mo- more motivated to read my story. I don't think it's a rivalry. Interesting. I don't, wow. think it's, I don't think it's a rivalry. I think it's an rivalry insofar as every divisional game has a little bit of tinge to that. But it's sure, not okay. like the Browns have three divisional rivals. I'll put the Bengals at the bottom of the hate list. Like okay. they hate the Steelers because they hate the Steelers. It's in their DNA. Yeah. I went, when I was a kid, I grew up rooting for the Steelers, and I, my parents brought me to the game in a Steelers jersey, and grown men were cussing me out when I was nine years old. Good that's God. hate. They hate the Ravens because that's, the Ravens... That's evil. I know. They hate the Ravens because the Ravens should the be Ravens the Browns. The Ravens are the Browns. The Ravens <laughs> stole the Browns. And the Bengals are, you know, they're over there. And, you know, there, there might be a little bit more of that now because the Bengals are getting good. Right. And people will get, ups, you know, more... Uh, there'll be more hate to direct it than I had a guy right. tell me that Joe, Ger- Joe Burrow is a great quarterback, but I hate that guy in good. the concourse earlier today. Um, and, honestly, what I'm about to write about the Bengals players thinking that Ohio can become a Bengals-centric state, that could add something to it as well. Like, I had Eli Apple, uh, the premise of the story is, like, it is a Brown-centric state. Can that be changed? And a lot of the guys in the locker room were like, I'm not seeing that. I think we've already done that. Like, Eli Apple, he said, how many times have they gone to the AFC Championship game? That's great a question. great quote. Yeah. Great, great question. question, great, great quote. Question. Yeah. And then he's like, he followed, the, here's another great quote. He said, how many times have they gone, <laughs> have they gone to the AFC Championship game and followed that up with zero, and now their season is over. 
Wow. Damn. And now their season is over. Eli was talking spicy. That's an Ohio State guy who has Damn. dealt with a lot of Browns fans in his life as well. That's So, it's interesting. I, I Again, I don't think that that's true. First of all, I think this is okay. going to be a Brown State forever. Um, it's just people bleed it. And second, I don't know how much can be added to a rivalry when the Browns have... Rivalries are about fans, not really players at this level, I think. So I don't think that, again, because there's so much history with the other two, it's going to be hard to, to make a jump. But there's more room for hatred. Well, I, and I think more room for I hatred. Think too, if Deshaun, if Deshaun <laughs> well, is the quarterback it. for a yeah. while, and obviously there's sure. obviously way more, un- Ooh, yeah. there's way more to talk about with Deshaun. Oh, yeah, but, that's the story I wrote today. I was talking about fans about what it's like to have to root for that guy. Yeah, and so Man. you have you have Deshaun as your quarterback. Uh, what do you say? Seven year deal. So you've got him. I mean, the Bengals would literally call the National Guard to let before Joe Burrow leaves his team. Yeah. So, like, if you get two National quarterbacks Burrow. like that playing each other twice a year, I think that adds something to it. So I think there's potential. I agree with so that. I think there's potential for growth there. 100%. Promising. Yeah, there's like the – yeah, people love painting quarterback. It's so funny. We talk about, like – Mahomes, Burrow, Brady, Manning. Okay, like we never. Okay, we did this like three times. That's what I'm saying. That's oh, what I'm saying. Yeah. But like, and it's valid because they're the faces of their teams. At the same time, they're never on the field together, so it's a yeah. weird thing that we do. But it's it's legitimate. And ju- I think just like the uh, juxtaposition of the two quarterbacks, like Deshaun has all of his allegation baggage, and he's the most radioactive player in the league right now. Joe Burrow is on the opposite end of that spectrum. You, other than you know, like Mahomes, there might be <laughs> one or two guys who have a higher Q rating than Joe Burrow. So that that can create resentment. Like the Browns fans, I could see some psychology happening where the Browns fans are like, "Man, wish we had that. I guy. Wish I had a cool quarterback." It's like, "Oh, why <laughs> did we get all that money for Deshaun? Yeah, I have to, I have to like resentfully root for my team why, to score touchdowns. Why did we get? Why did we yeah. get the first overall and, pick in twenty twenty? Why were we that bad? And the Bengals just get to operate on pure joy every time Burrow scores. I could see some of that. Like that just the uh, the envy and the resentment. You, I am so glad you're on this because that is something I'm looking forward to reading, including that spicy thing you mentioned about Eli Apple. <laughs> Jimmy, appreciate you having uh having you on. Always great, always a pleasure. And we will talk more this week about setting the stage for the big game at Tampa Bay as the Bengals face the GOAT, Tom Brady, as they try to continue their playoff aspirations, sitting at 9-4. and four. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, Mike Nislik, and the great Jimmy Watkins, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. We'll see you back this week. Have a great rest of your weekend.